You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. This is a regular podcast series for HR practitioners, employment lawyers, and in-house counsel, focusing on the legal issues relevant to all companies with employees in Ireland. Hello and welcome. Today, I want to look at a recent decision from the UK courts. This is a case I've been meaning to cover since it came out, so it's good to eventually get the opportunity. And it deals with a very straightforward question, or at least it seems a straightforward question. Should an employer be held responsible for a rogue IT employee who unlawfully shares the personal and banking details of 100,000 of his colleagues onto the internet? As we'll see, it's not actually as straightforward as it may seem. This came from the case against Morrison Supermarkets, the well-known UK supermarket chain. But before we get to any of that, let's have a look at what else has been happening in the employment law world since our last podcast in January. Now that the Employment Miscellaneous Provisions Bill has actually been signed into law and is due to take effect in March, and the gender pay gap legislation has been put on hold pending Brexit, this is actually the first podcast in quite some time where there isn't a whole lot of statutory developments to talk about. As regards Brexit itself, clearly we could talk forever about that and I've no intention of doing so. But on a Brexit-related question, one issue that is coming up on an almost daily basis at this point as we approach the deadline is what happens to the many UK citizens travelling back and forth between Ireland and the UK in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Likewise, what happens to the many Irish citizens travelling back and forth? As most of you will be aware, there is a common travel arrangement in place between Ireland and the UK, which allows for almost unlimited access between the two jurisdictions for employees going back and forth. All indications from both the Irish and the UK government are that in the event of a no-deal Brexit, this arrangement will be maintained. As with all Brexit commentary at this point, it probably is no more than speculation, but what I can say is that as the details become clearer and we have more certainty on it, we'll keep you updated. You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. Let me turn now to the main case review for today. And this is a class action that was brought against WM Morrison Supermarkets in the UK, a decision coming out of the Court of Appeal from October of last year. The background to this case was as follows. Mr Andrew Skelton worked for Morrison's as a senior IT internal auditor. In July 2013, Mr Skelton was issued with a verbal warning for unauthorised use of the company's postage facilities. As you will see, this was a relatively minor sanction and a relatively minor offence in the overall scheme of things for both Mr Skelton and Morrison's. However, what Morrison's didn't know at the time was that Mr Skelton clearly had hatched his own plot for revenge against his employer. A number of months later, in November 2013, in the course of an annual audit, KPMG requested access to payroll data within the company. In performing his normal duties, the HR department passed this information to Mr Skelton as the internal auditor. He downloaded the information to his own laptop, passed it to a USB stick and passed it on to KPMG. So far so good, all perfectly legitimate and within the normal course of his duties. However, Mr Skelton then went on to copy the same information to his own private USB stick which he brought home with him. A number of weeks later on the 14th of January, from the comfort of his own home one Sunday afternoon, Mr Skelton uploaded all of this data onto a publicly accessible file-sharing website. To give you a sense of the disclosure, what he included was the name, address, social insurance details, 
bank account details and salary details of 99,998 employees. It does seem quite a random number and I wonder if somewhere in the deep recesses of his moral conscience he felt that sharing this type of information for 100,000 employees or more would be just wrong, so he stopped short. I suspect it had something more to do with detectability. But most bizarre of all, this breach went unnoticed. So on the 14th of March, two months later, Mr Skelton downloaded the same information onto three separate USB sticks and shared it with three local newspapers in Bradford, where Morrison's had their corporate headquarters. The timing of this second disclosure wasn't in any way random. It was intended to cause maximum damage to the company because it was releasing its financial results for the previous year that week. The newspapers rightly declined to share any of the information but did tip Morrison's off as to the breach. Within less than 24 hours, Mr. Skelton was identified as the perpetrator in spite of the fact that he had actually downloaded the information using a colleague's initials in an attempt to set somebody else up. Following a separate criminal prosecution, Mr. Skelton was sentenced to eight years in prison. So at this point, it is clearly becoming very serious for Mr. Skelton and has already become quite serious for Morrison's. When Morrison's disclosed the breach to the various employees involved, Five and a half thousand of them joined together in a class action and issued proceedings against the employer. And their case was based on two particular legal arguments. Firstly, that Morrison's had breached its data protection obligations to them as employees in allowing this data breach to occur. And secondly, as a matter of vicarious liability, Morrison's should be held responsible for the unlawful act of a rogue employee. Vicarious liability is a common law concept or doctrine by which an employer can be held responsible for the acts of an employee, even if those acts were unauthorised or unlawful and certainly not something the employer would ever have permitted or encouraged. For example, in many of the clerical abuse cases, this was the basis upon which the church and state was held responsible for the acts of individuals, even though such acts were unauthorised and unlawful. In the High Court, the judge concluded on the data protection ground that from the point at which Mr Skelton downloaded the information to his own USB stick, he then became the data controller and Morrison's were no longer the data controller. And accordingly, as the breach had occurred during Mr Skelton's watch as data controller, Morrison's were not responsible for the breach. However, on the vicarious liability front, the judge agreed that there was a sufficient connection between his position and the wrongful conduct since it was Morrison's to begin with that put him into the position of handling and disclosing the data to make it right or fair for Morrison's to be held liable on a vicarious liability basis. Now let's stop on that for a moment and in order to help get your head around the concept of vicarious liability and how it works here. Clearly it is harsh and unfair on Morrison's to be held responsible for the act of an employee that was unauthorised, unlawful and that they not in a million years would have approved of. It's not like they had recklessly or negligently made this information available to any random employee to obtain and share. Mr Skelton was presumably one of a very small group of employees who were entrusted with this level of access to the data, yet he was the one who went off and caused the breach. But the whole concept of vicarious liability is based on an assessment of what is fairer. And the point here is that unless Morrisons are held liable as a matter of vicarious liability, well then the victims in this particular example would only be left with a cause of action against Mr Skelton himself. Clearly, one individual isn't going to have the resources and assets to meet thousands of different judgments. So the court had to decide what would be the greater injustice, to hold Morrisons liable in this scenario, even though they didn't approve of it, or to leave up to 100,000 employees without compensation. 
And so in the High Court, Morrisons lost the claim and the employees succeeded in their claim for damages. Morrisons unsurprisingly appealed the decision to the UK Court of Appeal on three particular grounds. The first two are data protection arguments, so I'm not going to go into those in any detail other than to note the conclusion of the court was that the data protection regime and the common law doctrine of vicarious liability exist side by side or in addition to one another. It wasn't that data protection was intended to replace vicarious liability in the particular instance of data protection breaches. The main ground of appeal, however, was on the vicarious liability front. Morrison's argued that the High Court judge was wrong to conclude that the wrongful act itself occurred during employment and that accordingly Morrison's should be held liable for the wrongful acts of Mr. Skelton. The Court of Appeal looked at how the High Court judge had reached this conclusion. The High Court in the Morrison's case, in turn, had looked at an earlier decision from 2016, which set out quite a clear test for how a judge should consider the question of vicarious liability. Interestingly, that case concerned a petrol pump attendant who had viciously attacked a customer in a racially motivated incident. In a curious twist of faith, the employer in that case was also the very same WM Morrison's, so overall a bad run of luck for the recruitment team in Morrison's. This is a case we actually covered in a separate podcast back in 2016, so if you're interested in that one, you can find that on our website as well. But to get back to the legal point here, in the 2016 case, the court said there were two key questions to be considered in any vicarious liability assessment. Firstly, what are the functions or what is the field of activities that are entrusted to the employee or what is the nature of his job, in other words? And then secondly, is there a sufficient connection between the position in which the individual is employed and the wrongful conduct to make it right for the employer to be held liable as a matter of social justice? So you can see there even the reference to social justice comes back to my point about it's an assessment of what would be fairer on society. Applying this test in the High Court to the current case, the judge focused on the fact that Morrison's had entrusted him to deal with the data. This wasn't something that he had indirectly been provided with access to or stumbled across. It was part of his role to receive and manage and share this information. There's no doubt that he alone had made the decision to disclose it, but the disclosure was sufficiently closely related to his role. Morrison's then argued instead that there was an insufficient connection between his role and the actual conduct committed because it was committed outside of work hours, it was committed at his home place rather than in the workplace and it occurred a number of weeks after the initial wrongful act. The High Court again roundly rejected all of this on the following factual arguments. The initial wrongful act itself had occurred in the course of employment when he was passing the data from his laptop to the USB stick. The case law overall in regard to vicarious liability did not suggest that it could be limited to acts that are committed in the workplace alone. Likewise, the time and place, while relevant, are not conclusive in making the connection between an employee's role and the wrongful act. In the court's view, the act of sending the data to third parties was within, as the court put it, the field of activities assigned to him. Now, clearly in this case, there was a huge difference between passing this information to KPMG and passing it onto the internet or passing it to local newspapers, but it was within the field of activities in the court's view. And as the court separately put it, there was an unbroken thread linking his work to the disclosure, and there was a seamless and continuous sequence of events between the duties he was employed to do, the duties he was carrying out as part of his role as an internal auditor, and the ultimate wrongful disclosure. On that basis, the High Court took the view 
that there was a sufficient connection between his role and their wrongful disclosure and the Court of Appeal fully agreed with it. This particular part of the judgment is a good example of how people struggle with the concept of vicarious liability. The whole essence of vicarious liability in this context is that the role he was employed to do was sufficiently connected to the wrongful act. It's not that the role included the wrongful act, but that it was sufficiently connected. And that's the basis upon which courts can hold employers vicariously liable for the acts of rogue employees. Morrison's then raised a number of other lines of defence, many of which have a sense of clutching at straws about them. For example, they argued that in all other vicarious liability cases, the employee conducted a wrongful act in order to benefit themselves, that there was something in it for them. Best example I can give you there would be an employee working in a bank. However, in this case, Mr. Skelton did not stand to benefit in any shape or form from the wrongful act. The only point was to inflict the maximum possible damage on his employer. The court again roundly rejected this argument and said that the motive was in effect irrelevant. In this case, it's the fact that there was a wrongful act. Morrison's most novel argument in the entire case, in my view, was that if the court did hold them liable for the wrongful acts of Mr. Skelton, that the court would actually be facilitating his revenge upon the employer. In effect, they would become an accessory to the crime. Now, to me, that seemed a little bit far-fetched, but the judge clearly bought the argument because while the judge ultimately found against Morrison's on this point, he did grant Morrison's leave of appeal on this particular issue so that a second judge could consider it. However, the judge in deciding against them took the view that even if it is correct, there would be a much greater injustice suffered by the 100,000 victims in this case if Morrison's were held not to be liable for the rogue act of the employee. Morrison's last argument was that if they were held liable in a class action in this type of case, with potentially up to 100,000 plaintiffs involved, it could lead to a financial ruin for even large employers. The court, however, argued that this doomsday or Armageddon scenario, as the judge put it, could easily be addressed by way of insurance, and that if an employer was concerned about this risk, they could take out appropriate insurance policies to cover it. The court does seem to be overlooking the obvious cost for employers in this, and presumably this type of insurance is not cheap. So in conclusion, the Court of Appeal agreed with the High Court on almost all of the points involved in this case, and as at this point in time, Morrisons are liable in damages to the 5,500 employees. We can also assume that the remaining 94,500 employees will also be watching this case and joining the action. Regular listeners to this series will know that at the end of each case assessment, I like to look at what this means for you as employers in Ireland and what steps you can take. When it comes to the issue of vicarious liability, it is a lot harder to address this risk. The judge in this case has given examples of insurance that you could put in place. And clearly as a matter of data protection and GDPR, there are any number of additional obligations and protections that employers should be putting in place to protect employee data. More generally on the concept of vicarious liability, this is my point. It is harder to protect against that risk, but employers do definitely need to be aware of it. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email brian, that's B-R-Y-A-N, dot done at matheson.com. This podcast contains general information about Irish law. It is not intended to provide legal advice on any particular matter and is for general information purposes only. You should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice. 
tune in next time for another Matheson Employment Law podcast. For further information, visit matheson.com.